So, Kev, um, Mom had something that she wanted to tell you. I wanted to thank you for calling the ambulance. And? And? I was concerned that you might be feeling responsible. Was that? Because you were supposed to be looking after her. We just don't want you to blame yourself. No, I don't. I mean, I, I never said I did. Another episode of your absolute favorite podcast featuring conversations about things fearful and faithful hosted by people named Nathan and Reed. We are so thankful that you are here right now. Speaking into your ears is your host, one of your hosts, Nathan Rouse. Uh, I'm a little, I'm, I'm feeling a bit lighter. I just shaved a giant beard. Typically with me is dear friend. Reed Lackey, he did say something about needing to go make himself a jelly sandwich. That seems a little odd, you know. Uh, uh, I have seen Reed make a jelly sandwich before. It's real messy. The, the He just kind of glops it on there. It kind of spills out over the sides. He doesn't really use peanut butter, which is weird. I personally love peanut butter. I don't know why anyone would omit it. It feels a bit un-American, if you will. Um, but, you know, I mean, we all have our little peccadillos, and, and Reed has a little peccadillo like anyone else uh read <laughs> do not criticize me for my peccadillo we have talked about this in all of our years of friendship you know i'm sensitive about my peccadillo i know you are sensitive about your peccadillo i do not want criticism oh. hurled at my peccadillo okay well you know i don't even know how to recover from that like i don't know no People- I- i'm gonna i'm gonna just let it lie i'm gonna let your peccadillo lie listeners where it was listeners who know anything about the film we're covering today tuned in for a heavy conversation <laughs> and they start with like two minutes of oh peccadillos oh so there hey, you go buddy. hi man so you got going? a little you got a little you got a little jelly glob on your shirt i know there. well you know i'm i'm, um, I'm messy that way i'm i'm a little sloppy you are you are you are, you are. <laughs> so Read today, we are, I, I forgot to mention this before you got here, but I'll tell it, you'll, you'll, you'll be excited about this. This is episode 77. Yes, indeed it is. 77. Uh, I can't. That feels like a number of perfection. I don't really know that this particular podcast episode will reach perfection, Probably but not. that does feel like a number of perfection. It does. Um, it does. You know, it's, it's exciting. We've been doing this for like almost two years now, which is crazy. A year and uh, a half-ish. Yeah, it's a year and so. a half. It'll be two years in August, and I, I just can't, I can't believe that, man. That's just, that's insane. Uh, for those of you who are keeping track at home, uh, one, 
Thank you. You are you are studious listeners, and we appreciate and love you. Next week, we'll be getting that quarterly king number three to you. Oh uh, yes, we, we know we know you're staring at the calendar, being like, dudes, you're like two episodes past when you should be doing that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, today we are talking about uh, a movie called. We need to talk about Kevin and because we do, we do. And, and Reed has pitched this movie basically since the inception of the episode. Uh, I'm sorry, since the inception of the podcast as a series, yes. I'll let you tell that story in a few minutes. Um, but I had, I have just, I had pined to read, please. This is before the, all of the formatting, you know, and love currently before any of that. I said, when we get to that episode, can we please title that episode? We need to talk about, we need to talk about Kevin. <laughs> and he's, he's, he's never taken the bait on that. Um, you know, so I'm just, I'm just airing that gag right now and just getting it out of my system. Sure. Sure. Um, we could call but, it, but, we need to, we yeah. need to talk, to talk about, we need to talk about Kevin. We need to. Whoa. All of it. I'm not sure what that. Is that some reference that I'm missing? Well, listeners will probably think there's something going wrong with their iPod feed. So there you go. Oh, 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 oh. Okay. So you're just playing a gag on them. Maybe. Um, got it. Got it. Um, Reed, before you tell your story, before um, we get too deep into things here, I just, I just got to know, buddy, what you're watching. <laughs> oh, what you're reading. <laughs> what are you listening to? <laughs> You can tell two things. <laughs> one, one, we're a little nervous about getting into the subject matter of this episode. That's very true. And and two, I had coffee three hours ago, which is five <laughs> o'clock Eastern Standard Time, five p.m. That is. So I'm ready to go. I'm I'm gonna by the end of it, I'm gonna be like Baymax with a low battery. But right now, I am good. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> low battery. Wow. We went through a window. All right. So <laughs> you might have this exact same one, but I'm going to introduce my what you're watching, reading, listening to by just simply brother saying Wakanda forever. Wakanda forever. Oh, indeed. Oh, my God. Yeah, we, we share this one. Why don't we? I'll tell you what. I had something else I was going to talk about. I'm going to save it. Let's just spend a few minutes okay. talking about Black Panther. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Oh, man. It was so Can we? Movie. Like, do we really need to talk about, we need to talk about Kevin? Can we? <laughs> we need to talk we, about Black Panther. We need we to, talk, need to about talk about T'Challa. You know, <laughs> someone, someone in that movie should have been like, we need to talk about Killmonger. <laughs> they should have raised, raised some alarms. Oh my gosh. Uh, one, his name is called Killmonger. I know, right? So one of my favorite uh, little tweets that I've seen scurry around the internet real quickly, and it's such a truth bomb is somebody tweeted out, and I apologize that I've forgotten the name, but somebody tweeted out, they said, if you're going to marry somebody, ask them first if they would ever leave you for Michael B. Jordan, and then if they tell you no, just drop them because there's no sense in building a marriage on such lies. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I, I'd, I'd marry Michael B. Jordan. You know? Oh, my I've changed my I've changed my mind, bro. I'm good. <laughs> wow. Oh, we are so punchy. Oh, we're so punchy. Um, so, yeah. So, yeah. Black Panther, I, I, I took my wife. She doesn't even really like MCU type stuff. Mm. Um, I took her as a point, um, uh, as an example. 
I think I took her to see Age of Ultron. We did a little double date, and she was so bored, and I was so ticked. Oh. So I was like, why Why are you bored, woman? This is like, <laughs> wow. Granted in, granted, in hindsight, Age of Ultron is only just okay. But nonetheless, she just really doesn't, she just, she just doesn't get down with all of the capes and the superheroes and all the characters and blah, blah, sure, blah. Sure, sure. kind of stuff that I love. No capes. Um, however, she's down with the hip hop. And I was mm. months ago, I said, please go see Black Panther. I really think you'll dig it. I didn't even, you know, I hadn't seen it. I just, it's got Michael B. Jordan. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I'd marry, I'd, I'd marry. Yeah. It. Yeah. Me too. Um, I've asked twice. He keeps saying no. Even with that hair. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and, and so we went to go see it. And I do want you to tell a little bit of your experience too. But Reed, I can't tell you, like, ignore the fact that the movie is on pace to beat Avengers one money. I mean, that's just insane yes. alone. Yes. Purely from a a, a, a a technical aspect, but from an experiential aspect, we saw that movie the Friday night of opening with a packed house. We were the minority in the audience, and I loved every second of it. Mm. Like, there's just something fantastic about an energetic theater-going experience, and the movie itself was exciting. And it was stressful and it was sad in places. Yeah, definitely. And it was, can I say badass? It was badass in places. Sure. Um, you know, I did twice. Um, <laughs> and I, it's, it is very possible I would rewatch it and be like, okay, I was, I was really riding the wave of the moment when I first saw it, which is not to suggest that it's not a good movie. Mm -hmm. I just mean like I was very much plugged into the hype machine. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. But I love it. I love it, and and we can tie a direct line back to our our get out conversation, and then I'm going to let you have the mic that you're already holding. <laughs> um, I stated this on social media. I think the day in the 24 hours after seeing it, it was such a thrill, and I had such and this may sound weird. I had such a sense of gratitude to be able to participate in my our our black brothers and sisters getting to enjoy the black Panther. Sure. Like it was yeah, such a thrilling experience. And I just was like, uh, to the point of slight emotionality, like mm. this is such a joy to get to enjoy this in this context at this moment in time, yada, yada, yada. Right. I loved it. Right. So you, you talk. I'm oh man. Talking. No, it was, yeah, it was fantastic. We saw it with our, actually with our marriage group, we have a, a, a biweekly marriage group and uh, we do, it's kind of funny. Like it meets biweekly and then, Every other one we do an outing. So we'll have like the sit down at someone's home or at the church and do like a, like a Bible study or, you know, conversation. And then we'll have like an outing where we'll go to a restaurant or we'll go to see a movie or whatever. So this was, this happened to fall. Opening weekend fell on an outing weekend. So we all went to see Black Panther. Um, Anthony, uh, who was on the show for Get Out. Sure. Uh, he and I sat next to each other. We, we, he was, he's part of our marriage group. And so. So yeah, we uh we saw that together and I I just I was so thrilled. It, kind of in the same boat with you where it's like I'll be I'll level with the listeners that the hype and my general enjoyment of the movie kind of met my expectations. So I expected sure. to love it. I think I even said uh last right, week right. that I you know I was I'm primed to love or a couple of weeks ago I'm primed to love Black Panther. Um, and so it kind of met my expectations. It was about as good as I was expecting it to be, which expectations are a weird thing that can sure, kind of sometimes sure. make you feel, you know, sometimes if you're expecting it to be great and then it is only great, 
you can oddly walk out feeling a little miffed. I didn't, though. I felt like it was just, it was exactly what I was hoping it would be. Um, the thing that was the most exciting about it, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Uh, I don't think he'll mind me quoting him. Anthony leaned over to me after the film, and he said, you know, this this is the kind of thing that I hope will happen, this uh, this sort of cultural revolution, uh, the respect, the the sense of propriety, the sense of uh, brotherhood and familial connection. There's a sense of ritual to it all. He's like, this is the kind of thing that I hope black people in this country can kind of come into their own with. And, and um, you know, I'm not quoting him directly to say that that was a paraphrase, but it was, but yeah, it, it, it was just really special to get to see them enjoy all of that. The thing that impressed me the most was the guards, the the guard of I don't, oh, I don't yeah. know what their the, title yeah, are. Brother, that's that's the Dora Milaje. Oh, see, look at you. <laughs> look, yeah, yes. you're on top of it. Yes. Um, so the Dora Milaje, it was just a, a phenomenal uh, to see a group of women so oh, empowered so awesome. and so, so strong. Awesome. And I got to tell you, man. So no, I have not met. Uh, Michael B. Jordan, I have not met uh, any of the Black Panther cast, although Wanda Sykes was at our screening. We did not say hi to her, but we, we saw her as we were walking out. But um, uh, That was a weird moment where I was going to have to let you down easy and be like, Reed, Wanda Sykes was not in that she movie. She was not in that movie. No, I understand. <laughs> um, so, But um, we, we then went, uh, since Marvel's Disney property, uh, my family and I did an impromptu trip down to Disneyland and did the meet and greet for their version of Black Panther and that's awesome, dude. It is so, so cool. cool. The guards were there. They uh, yep. they were there, sort of standing guard over the Avengers tank, and and then you get to go in and you get to meet him, and it was just it was such a such a cool experience. My son was speechless. He was absolutely that's speechless awesome. with the guards. Awesome. The guards looking at us like, do you know these people? Do you know who they are? Do you need protection? Like, like it was, it was phenomenal. It That's was, great. yeah, it was great. And, um, and you know, they, they definitely at that little meet and greet experience, they definitely had the whole regal thing down. They were like, you're, yeah. you're going to see the king. You know, like I will put in a good word for you with the king and everything. It's just, That's it's just awesome. an exciting kind of cultural moment. It's a fun thing to participate sure. in. And, uh, yeah, and I loved. I mean, we could go on and on and on. I loved how they solved their villain problem, which they so did because they gave their villain believable stakes and he's not unpunchable and he's, and you're really invested in that final fight. Um, they just, they, it, it, it hits so many great buttons. So yeah, I, nothing but praise for Black Panther. The one thing that I definitively said walking out of it, I would need to rewatch the original Iron Man to know this for certain, but I know for a fact without rewatching it, that it is the strongest origin story since the first Iron Man. And it might be better than the first original Iron Man. I just have to rewatch that one to say definitively. But yeah, it's phenomenal. All right. Done. I'm, I'm, I'm down. Let's go to Wakanda. <laughs> let's do that. Let's just camp out at Wakanda instead of Wakevin. Yeah, let's do that. Wow. <laughs> wow. I can't promise wow. that's going to be the last one. I can't promise. Because well. I, I think you said to me, because I was nervous about this one. I was very nervous about this one. And I think you said to me, because when I expressed, I was like, yeah, now do you understand why I had some reservations about it? You said, you mean we can't shoulder the weight of the world on one conversation? <laughs> like, right, right. Yeah. So. Well, um, and, the, and, the, and the spirit of that, let's, let's close it out. Okay. Read, all right. Before we lose all energy. Uh, what, you, what you watching? What you reading? What you listening to? 
All right. That's well, going to be a very weird started, moment for you our listeners. Start, yeah, you already started walking us down this path. Sorry. Um, give, give, no, it's all right. Will you inform a little bit? You you texted me, because I didn't even know this. You texted me this the other night when, I, when we were you know communicating back and forth while I was watching it about... I, I don't know that you said or suggested this particular movie was an impetus for the fear of God as a concept, but you kind of co-mingled those two things. Can you talk a little bit about your sure, initial sure. experience of the movie? So without getting in too much into irrelevant conversation, so it was about, you no, know, please, I mean, we, we, we really, we, we never do that. Yeah, so, no, exactly. You know. Um, February <laughs> or March of 2016 was when I first, uh, kind of started the ball rolling on actualizing the fear of God. Um, I began to jot down episode uh, possibilities, began to think about general formatting things. This was prior to my conversing with you about coming on to the show. Um, but the, Your best decision ever, by the way. Yes, indeed. But um, <laughs> around that time, probably even that same week, um, I happened to see this movie. Just it, it was just the Netflix that I got next, and it happened to be uh, this movie. So... So my wife and I watched this movie, and because I was already rattling around in my brain of what to do for the show, I had created three sort of proof of concept uh, episodes that were um, that I gave to a couple of friends to say like, "Hey, what should I do? How should I format this? What should I, you know, what kind of things work? What kind of things don't?" And so uh, there were there were three proof of concepts. One was just very similar to our actual original pilot. Um, just sort of introducing the concept and blah, blah, blah. And then I had done one on The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, the short story, and then I did one on We Need to Talk About Kevin. And so uh, this one has always been, like, since the, again, like you alluded to, since the it's, inception yeah, I mean, of the it's show. It's pretty much, even in moments where we have down moments and make lists of what are possibles, it's, it's always been on the list for you. So. Yes, yeah, yeah, it's always yeah. been there. So, And I think that's largely part of, you know, we had run out... Uh, about uh, not quite run out, but we were through most of the most of the episodes that I was like, okay, I really want to talk about this, 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 and this. When we started the show, there was a list of maybe twenty that I knew. Okay, eventually we're going to get to this. You know, I think I talked about that. The Raven was one. Eminem Stan was one. Uh, Frailty was one. You know, there were several that were like, okay, we are going to have an episode about this. And we need to talk about Kevin was in that list where I was like, I know eventually we will get to it. And so what brought us to this point uh, was essentially, and we'll, we'll talk more concretely a after we introduce the film to people who may not have seen it or don't know much about it. But the um, so basically, you know, we were we had a slot to fill. We, we, we had something in our basic schedule. They're like, OK, we're not in the midst of a concrete series, but we need to uh, to to sort of decide what we're going to talk about next. And I was so nervous to address this film uh, for reasons that. For those who have seen it, it will be obvious for reasons those who don't will become apparent soon. Um, but I was so nervous to sort of talk about this film. But then the more I got to thinking about it, I, I landed on a couple of things where I was like, OK, no, I, I guess it's time. I guess now is the, the time for us to sort of uh, address you were like, this film. We need to talk about <laughs> we need to talk about Kevin. You, you just exactly. you arrived there. I was like, we need to. talk. Yeah. So uh, I, I knew this was kind of weighing on you. What's funny is. um I I didn't really uh, I didn't really know anything about the movie, and this is a really odd random note, but I'm just not a big Ezra Miller Ezra Miller fan. Mm. 
haven't been for a long time. It's possible as much as I anticipate perhaps not enjoying Justice League that I might actually enjoy him as the Flash. I just don't know. But in terms of generally when I see him in films, I don't like a his performance or B the film or C both. Um, So I didn't I didn't know he was in it, which hear me like I didn't even know that until I started watching it. I didn't read anything. Um, all I knew was the title, Tilda Swinton and probably heavy movie. Uh. Um, and, <laughs> and I would say it's funny. It really isn't funny. But once I started watching it, I was like, oh, <laughs> oh, well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, um, so, you know, so, so other than that initial viewing two years ago, whenever you initially watched it, had you, did you, did you watch it in between then and now for the no, podcast no, no, have you no. seen it again? so so i watched it uh because it was bouncing around in my mind i had done you know that proof of concept episode i talked about and then um i did not watch it again until re-watching it for our recording now because it's very heavy and it's like i, d- I didn't want right, to right, right. you know it's like i didn't want to re-engage it until again because i knew we would be so i was like when we get to it i'll re-watch it and then that will be that will be sort of it um well let's so yeah. let's uh, we we can kind of you know we've been we've been if if astute listeners haven't noticed we've been sort of deviating a little bit from traditional format lately um for the moment at least maybe we tiptoe up to the heavier aspects of it by maybe engaging some of the traditional format um i am curious and maybe this would probably fall in a trivial bits column one um i presume at this point you know it's based on a novel yes i think yeah not a, as opposed to a short story right. um have you read that uh yes but it was uh it was only after having seen the film right the the novel itself is epistolary for listeners who don't know what that means that means it's a sequence of letters and uh it's a sequence of letters from the character of eva written to her husband oh but you discover at the end of the book all of them were written after the events of what had taken place so it's it, it, sure although it's not explicitly spelled out as i remember it it's basically just her sort of coming to terms with what has happened by writing these letters to to her husband franklin um and so yeah but the but the the film is actually quite faithful so i mean obviously the no, the novel includes a lot more uh right. particular details but but the major events of the movie are it's a pretty faithful adaptation lynn ramsey the director um also adapted the screenplay I think she had a writing partner, but I know she had a hand in adapting the screenplay and and did a a, a pretty faithful adaptation, uh, major beat for major beat. Let's um let's do some just kind of surface level stuff with it, and then you know we can kind of just just take the plunge as it were. Um, one, I just love that they're playing the Nintendo sixty four. That was just <laughs> right. kind of right. And in, 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 in a movie so oppressed with sadness, it's like oh. In sixty four, <laughs> one glaring that moment of joy. Me, that takes me back. You know, this is this is incidentally humorous, taken out of the context of the overall oppressive sadness of the film. But my goodness, when she uses the jackhammer to cover the sound of the baby. Oh my oh gosh! My yeah, gosh. yeah. I mean, that was your, rough. your heart just breaks. And I mean, I would say, I would say, this is. I've seen her in a number of things. She's a fascinating actor. But I I think this is hands down Tilda Swinton's strongest performance that I've ever seen. I mean, she's always a very committed actor. 
But did you see um Snowpiercer? Is that the name of yes, it? Yes, yes. She's so bizarre. In that, that is big... a wacky. Yeah, that is role. A... It's a wacky movie, but yes. it's an even wackier role for her. Oh man! But uh, yeah, she's so quirky and and odd in that. Looks like she stepped out of a of an anime or something. But um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I th- I think this is this is one of the most complex and haunting roles I think she's ever had to take on. She fully commits to it. And I think she does an outstanding job. I mean, it. you don't see, I don't, even rewatching it, you don't see the strings ever. For those who don't know what I'm talking about, that's an acting term of just like, you know, where you can kind of see an actor acting. Uh, she just so embodies this character and so uh, steps into this role. It's a, it's an outstanding performance. I mean, I think she's, sure. I think she's run away better. I don't really dislike anybody in the movie. But I think she she dwarfs all of them. She's she's such a it's an outstanding performance. I just can't I can't think of another word at this moment. It's just it's just mind blowing for me. Do you have any real surface kind of likes dislikes scares you'd like to throw in the I think on the, the table? Uh, I mean, I think the film overall uh, initially I found the structure hard to get into the constant jumps in time. Right. Um, right. So it was a bit hard to sort of get my bearings on it, but. Uh, that that is once I read the novel that is sort of reflective of the novel obviously right. she's writing letters so she's constantly referencing things that you don't quite have a whole handle on like it was a, it's a really strong adaptation because uh, they they did the best they could in sort of adapting the format of the novel but uh, yeah so so the structure itself might get a bit difficult for people to um, for people to understand or to or to climb along with but ultimately, I really just think it's I I found it to be a very affecting and haunting film, um, but it it's a difficult film for me to recommend. Like it's not the type of film that I would say, "Hey, you need to run out and see." We need to talk about Kevin, um, unless unless you're the type of person who just really enjoys uh, provocative or or very sort of deeply disturbing and haunting and upsetting. Uh, narratives. I know I'm really pitching it really hard here, guys. But um, but like it, it was something that to me, it's like it's hard for me to say that I that I like the film, except by purely objective standards removed from the content of the film. I think it's an exceptional sure. adaptation. I think it's an exceptional film. I think Tilda Swinton gives an exceptional performance. Um, not so much Ezra Miller, who I do think gives a good performance, uh, but the little kid, the young Kevin, whose name escapes me. Um, but I think he does a, a really outstanding job. Um, so I think all technical elements of the film are really impressive. The overwhelming weight of the film is hard to dismiss because it is... Sure. It, I mean, we've covered heavy stuff on this show before. This film is deeply upsetting uh listeners who have chosen to listen to us without seeing it will understand why let me jump in real quick and then we'll kind of just bang down the door as it were um a a few bullet point surface things man that was a seriously ill-timed poop on that kid's part (laughs) um and then as far as um other than the general heft of the content of the subject matter her uh, that for, for a movie that's rooted in a pretty straightforward naturalism her driving through her neighborhood on halloween night was terrifying yeah it's a that very scary awful. sequence yes. that is that is really well composed uh sequence there resolving with her you know kind of hiding out in her home oh my gosh that whole um, sequence is terrifying yeah yes. yeah um 
so uh, two thoughts. Listeners won't know. Reed and I, we had a, a, a moment before we started recording on this episode because I, I, we hadn't talked about this movie yet, but I, I ascertained that Reed had an appreciation for it. I did not have a very favorable experience of it. And we'll get, we'll get into those, but we talked about it. I said, you know, we're, we, we are friends and love each other. And, you know, we're going to, but, um, you know, the, the other thing, just, just if you don't plan on watching it, the, the brief summary is we need to talk about Kevin is about Tilda Swinton as a mother. Um, her son named Kevin is very, a very troubled child. Um, I wouldn't say parentally she and John C. Riley as her husband, they ignore warning signs, although the child is much more, uh, aggressive and hostile towards her than he is towards the father figure. Right. Um, the, the, the culmination of all of it is a, a school shooting with a bow and arrow. So you can sort of see why for me personally, not, not having seen the film and then Reed saying, no, I, it might be time. And then to be, to tell you, Reed, we didn't, you know, pre-brief any of this within 10 minutes. I would, I wouldn't say I knew it was aiming for a school shooting. But, you know, you start to get, as the film is composed, what Reed alluded to a minute ago, there's almost a stream of consciousness kind of yes. um, sequencing to the, the the scenes and the shots and the imagery. It, it bounces back and forth in time, and you just kind of have to trust the storyteller to kind of give things indicators, such as Tilda Swinton's hair is at varying lengths in time. And you, you got to make note of those things to just kind of identify where in the chronology am I. Right, um, right. You know, <clears throat> so it's her kind of experience. But because of that, you are getting foreshadowing of what is to come. And now this is really funny. I had just listened to I was re-listening to our mother conversation, mm, mm-hmm. which should say which should say a lot because that movie was so traumatizing. Yes. That, but that com- but that conversation is very good. I say that purely objectively. Um, <clears throat> um But you you allude heavily in that conversation about how about your distaste for foreshadowing scenes at the top of a film and oh i'll have to clarify that but yeah go ahead finish your thought okay well well as in the time jump kind of element i'm going to show you something and then back up and show us how you got there i can't remember for certain but is not the opening scene of this something similar well yes but here's very specifically what i don't like so okay so like clarify for instance tarantino with like a pulp fiction or something like that when the whole structure of the film constantly jumps back and forth in time, I don't mind it because that's your structure okay. of the film. What sure. I very deliberately mind is you're going to show me something from right. an hour into the movie and then the rest of the film will be linear. That we'll be frustrates me because okay. now I, I yeah. can, okay, I'm, I'm down with you. I'm down with you. I'll give you a pass there. But yeah, the, the opening sequence or the opening shot of this is the drill the the drifting curtain and we'll we can say why or not but uh the drifting curtain on her out to her patio and backyard and you find out in the last like 15 minutes of the movie why that is such a haunting thing all you can see is this curtain drifting well tell them okay tell them. Uh, i mean i just i just spoiled i, t- I told i summarized okay, and left that sure, part out sure. but, yeah. so um yeah so kevin not only uh takes a bow and arrow and and injures and kills several of his classmates but she discovers after finding that out after 
realizing that he has perpetrated this this atrocious and heinous thing, she gets home after desperately trying to call her husband. Uh, she gets home and all she sees is this drifting curtain and the sprinklers. She hears the sprinklers going on off outside. And when she steps outside, she finds the body of her husband and her other young daughter and that Kevin has killed both of them as well. Um, and the, the opening shot of the film is the uh, the, the billowing curtain uh, that leads to that place. But you don't find out that. And I and that is the way the book's structured as well. Like she's she's writing letters to Franklin and you don't find out until like the final letter or like the next to last letter that Franklin has actually died. Um, and so, gotcha. yeah, so the, so the film, even in that regard, definitely follows sort of the st- structure of the, of the book. But, um, but yeah, so I just don't like it when films, you know, only do it that one instance and then don't stay right. consistent, you know? No, I can, I can, I can, I can see the difference there. Well, let's, let's just, let's just dive in here. So, um, I did think uh, I, I texted you that between this and what we're going to cover on quarterly, quarterly King next, that uh, uh, we should develop a new series called hashtag parenting fail. Um, <laughs> right. But so I do wonder were I to read the the source material, might I be more sympathetic? I can, I can objectively appreciate Swinton's performance I am a fan of John C. Riley. Clarify for me real quick before we get too far into this. So uh, listeners won't know there's when you first as a viewer encounter the little sister, she has a patch on her eye. Um, yeah. that's, uh, that's really out of context. Unless you know the story, it, it doesn't make a ton of sense in the moment. Once it got deeper into the movie, I was like, Oh, he's going to do something of some type that injures her. Right. But, in the film, it's very unclear, right? Am I wrong? That um, okay. So, um, how do I say this? So, because there's the scene, there's the scene of the garbage disposal, and then literally the next scene is she and John C. Riley sitting outside the hospital room, yeah. and it's happened. So I will, so I will say this: like one of the things that the film demands of its audience, and it absolutely demands it, is it demands upon you discovering certain narrative beats connecting them to things that have passed and passed quite subtly. Um, the film is almost uh, painfully subtle. So what's happening in that scene? Now, I did I did catch it the first time around, but I went into this film for the first time, like with just such. Honestly, I spent the first hour, so uh, the first half hour so confused. I was like, what in the crap is this movie about? Um, that I sort of did this almost rebellious, like, I'm going to pay attention to every single moment and, and see, and then ultimately wound up understanding what I felt like quite a bit more because of that. But here's what happened. Her gerbil goes missing. Okay. Right. And so the, the film doesn't show you this, but her gerbil goes missing. And all the film shows you is that when, uh, Eva, who Tilda Swinton's character's name, uh, when she is pouring cereal down the garbage disposal, it begins to back up. That's all right. you see is that it begins to back up. Suddenly, she looks into the sink, gives a gasp of what in the world? And then you see a horrified look come over her face. And she looks out at Kevin, who catches right. eyes with her and just whatever. Now, um, what I presumed in that moment, and the book backs it up, is that w- whether he killed it or what, the gerbil wound up in the garbage disposal. Right, right. So, yeah. so then she, in order to get rid of it, 
uses this caustic sort of drain cleaner to to because you're not just dealing with like clogged food or hair. You're dealing with like sure. body and bone. Granted, that of a gerbil, but you're de- you know so you need something right. stronger than just sure. Drano. So she uses this sort of caustic kind of bleach cleaner to get that down. Now, what what the film and the book leave unclear is that then either later that evening or, you know, like the next day, no, later that evening, uh, that cleaner has somehow found its way into their daughter's eye, like Celia's eye. Yeah, yeah. In In the book... She writes, if my memory serves me correctly, because I haven't been that long since I've read it, but in the book, she believes, Eva's character believes, that Kevin poured it into Celia's eye by telling her that he was going to clean out her eye. And so that is that he did that to her. But he he denies having anything to do with it, despite the fact that he was supposedly babysitting her at the time. He denies having anything to do with it and John C. Riley, because of his denial, his Kevin's blatant denial, does not believe his son would be capable of a thing like that and believes that Eva simply left it on the counter and that her daughter did it to herself. So the rift between them is that he believes Kevin, Franklin, the dad, believes Kevin and believes right. that it was just an accident, but that it was an accident because she left it out on the counter after clearing the garbage disposal. She believes right. Kevin did it maliciously. The book and the film never explicitly tell you which one it is. But given the other things that we see, it is very, very heavily implied that Kevin is correct. And there is one moment in the book that is you not. Mean that Eva's correct. Or, or sorry. Yeah, that Eva is correct and that Kevin did it. Right, 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 right. Um, in fact, there is a moment in the book that substantiates this that is not in the film. The, the scene is in the film, but this moment is not. The scene at the very end of the movie where she's visiting him in the prison before he's about to go to Sing Sing, right. before he's about to go to the right. adult prison, she visits him. In the book, he tells her he's sorry. In the, in the book, he, he says, I'm sorry, and gives her Celia's glass eye and asks her to bury it. So, so there's an impression left there that, yes, he did this. You know, but again, it's never explicitly stated. Um, that moment is completely excised from the film. It's, I mean, the sure. scene, like I said, well, the scene I, is I, in I, it, but. No, and, and your, your context is helpful. I just think I'm not going to be unkind to the movie because it is trying to, deli- trying to delicately balance rather sensitive content. But that's spe- specifically things like that. And I'll unpack a few more of my criticisms in a second, but things like that where it, it feels unnecessarily obtuse of a choice to make narratively in the film where very little else is like, we know he's a hostile individual, right? Yeah. Like it doesn't feel worthwhile of a choice storytelling wise to leave that level of ambiguity about not even necessarily whether he did whatever it was or not, but like, it's just it because the way you described the scene just then, like the the garbage disposal backs up. She makes a horrified look down it. I'm I'm tracking with all of that. I'm remembering all of this. She looks out the window. He's casting a sneer at her, and right. then we're at we're at the hospital. It just it left a lot of ambiguity where I was more confused about what had trans. You know what I mean? Like sure, I, I don't sure, know if of I'm course. Any sense? No, no, no. It felt it like, does. It felt like for, for a movie that traffics in sort of 
subtlety and uh, stream of consciousness, I need a few handouts, if if you will, and 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 narrative and and narrative beats like that that are very strong moments in these characters' lives. It felt like it left too much ambiguous for for my personal kind of taste. Sure, there. sure. I mean, I can um, I can understand that. I think the uh, like I would acknowledge to anybody that is interested in seeing the film that that the structure is very demanding. The film and its its individual beats and the overall structure is terribly demanding. And that's not to say that uh, you know uh, yeah, it's just it's the kind of film that I don't think I would fault anybody for missing certain elements of along the way because yeah it's it, and i will say that you know now this has been my second time viewing it and yeah it is easier to understand certain connections once you know where everything is going like once you know sure. some of the things sort of in pocket then it is much easier to engage with the film and see oh okay that's what's happening there that's what this was and that's what that was so um you know so well, plus, let, let me yeah. let me throw out you one of my primary sort of criticisms because I, I it you know it may feel like i'm kind of holding back and 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 i just you know w- there is a very present immediately and urgently present conversation happening in our culture about kind of mental illness and violence um especially especially violence as either a perpetrated by youth or b perpetrated towards youth like that's active and present and should be continued to be discussed right um and it and it's a little unfair to the storyteller here and that that we're kind of dissecting this movie in this particular moment because okay I'm I'm trying to figure out how to how to walk out these things in a way that sure, sort of makes sure. sense in my head. I don't know. I, I don't think the movie is a movie about an isolated violent act. In this case, clima- a climactic act of him assaulting and harming all of these fellow students. Right. It feels more like the movie is just sort of a a rumination on her own potentially grief, but the sort of potential culpability. Um, Definitely. Well, okay. Okay. So I, I'll be real explicit here. I had a really hard time engaging emotionally and okay. for a movie about so heavy a subject matter and for the way I engage in the real world analogs of this on a very emotional level that feels a little surprising but one of the criticisms i would sort of bring to the table here and and i'm and i'm i'm saying let's talk about it i don't necessarily want to be talked out of it per se it'll make some sense i didn't like the the fact that he's evil from from birth I, it doesn't mm, okay sure it yeah. it 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 kind of took me out like your your uh, affection or affection is a strong word. Your appreciation for that little child actor was kind of discussed on my part in which is, which is more about, I wasn't bought in. I, I had a hard time because in other words, there's a story there about the plague of new parenthood. Yeah. Right. Sure. sure. You know, like, like her inability to connect and attach to this child. You know, that as one who is 
who has a 14 month old right now, like it and, and who is home and around a lot and was a lot for the, the newborn world of my other two, the scene when John C. Riley picks the baby up when she's begging him not to was heart rending. I was sure. like, Oh yeah. my gosh, no, don't do it. You big dumb man. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, of course. And I guess, I guess what I'm trying to say is there were moments of humanness and humanity, which are this mother struggling to attach, who is listening to the sound of a jackhammer over her baby screaming because you just can't take it anymore. That's a very human moment. Yeah. Um, this moment of a mother pleading with the husband, Hey, please don't pick him up. I just got him down. That's a very human moment. Mm-hmm. Um, this very human moment of an, a toddler wandering in at an inappropriate time on his parents. It's a very human moment. So those are strong and great and really I can, I can, I can click in with you. What I struggle with is what it feels like, not is, feels like, this is therapy language here, which Tilda Swinton clearly needed, and everyone in that movie did, (laughs) Um, what feels like a set path for characters. Like, that story began, it's it's one thing to have your end in view, like, it's going to culminate in this real climactic act of violence. It's another thing that the character himself, other than little moments like his affection for her reading to him, which is a good moment, but it to me, it wasn't enough to mitigate all of the sort of weirdness I felt towards him leading up to it. Well, and I'll, all of, I, yeah, I, apologize, I apologize for cutting you off. No, no, but no, no, no. Cause it's the affection, the affection for him reading like for her reading to him, you probably didn't catch this because it was your first time seeing it and you didn't know where the film was going. She's reading to him about Robin Hood and his bow and arrows. Sure. So I don't think the affection is because of who's reading to him as much as what she's reading. So I'm substantiating right. your point about a a through line of consistent sort of uh, evil, if you want to call it that, behavior. Yeah. Um, Yes. So, yeah. Well, and I think you're, you're see you're identifying what I'm what I feel like I'm trying to articulate here, which is, I mean, let's let's take these these real world stories that are happening around us, like your your um, Dylan Roof, your I don't uh, Nicholas Cruz, your uh, name these folks, and you can source the radicalization, if you will. You know what I mean? Like this gets into a nature versus nurture kind of conversation, but. It's, it's, it's almost like, and we need to talk about Kevin. He's so heinous from go mm-hmm. that it feels like a movie that should be more like the omen, which is about supernatural, oh, right, whatever. Right, right, and right. I'm, and I'm not trying to be glib. Hear me. Like, no, I understand. I'm just saying, like, it feels like an unswerving path of destruction for a character from birth. And that just felt. Two things. One, it felt unrealistic. And two, it felt a little bit like it lets the character off the hook, if that makes any sense whatsoever. The first one did. The second one didn't. Unpack that second one a little bit. How is yeah. he, he um, off the hook? Because what he just is this way. He's just, he just, he was just, he's, I'm going to use this word evil. I don't mean it that strong, but in terms of just real stark sort of language, like okay. he, he's just that way. And no amount of affection or influence was gonna was going to deter this character and and let's humanize it this person from ultimate unrepentant violence 
to the okay. point. Let me, one last one last thought, and then I want you to go. Um, which is why something like what feels like remorse at the end feels again. I'm using feeling language here, and my experience of the movie sure feels yeah. feels unearned. Okay, because sure. I've because for the first time in 18 years, and we're basing it on what the storyteller is showing us. For the first time in 18 years, now you feel bad. It's like oh. Okay. Anyway, so so these no, were the things I'm wrestling with and trying to unpack my feelings about this movie, which I felt like I really should be plugged in and kind of grieving over these characters' fates, but I'm just kind of maybe maybe naively so hung up on what I felt like was a big narrative hurdle for me personally. So so please, sure, sure. Okay, take, so take the baton. I'm not going to. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to kick back too hard because. Because I think I, I think I understand. Does it at least everything. sort of make sense? Do you kind of see what I'm saying? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Okay. The one, the the element in the film, and I'm not going to bring any of the book into this. I'm going to use the film. The element yeah. of the film that helped me not feel that way. The film raised a real question for me. So I guess the struggle that I have, not the struggle with what you're saying, but the the sort of um, reaction that I would have to the to your experience of the film is I walked away feeling like the film was asking me complicated questions about whose fault Kevin is. Is it Kevin's fault or is it Eva's fault? And, and that's a reasonable that's a reasonable sort of question. I think that's an appropriate question which from as a, I promise I'm not going to do this every 10 seconds. But <laughs> and that that's what I mean by that's a legitimate question to me if he's not that way from birth. And it feels like the movie is trying to just sort of set that as the given circumstances. Okay. Anyway, go ahead, please. But let's remember, well, and again, I don't want to, uh, like, I've seen it twice. So I've got like a sure. slight a, a slight leg up on in terms of contextualizing some of this stuff. Um, the film makes a very, two very deliberate choices in its first 15 minutes that I think helps substantiate the he's that way from birth, but still putting that on her or still possibly putting it on her. Before we have any idea what's going on anywhere, she's walking out of a job that she's just received because the person says that they don't care what she's done as long as she can file and type and whatever. Right. And as she's walking out, somebody, we don't know who at the moment, uh, we find out later, says, well, somebody's having a great day, aren't we? And she doesn't recognize this person, but all of a sudden, right. this person just slaps her. They just say, well, somebody's right, having right. a great day, aren't they? And she says, I beg your pardon? And then she slaps her. Open face, you know, open palm slaps her. And then she says, uh, I hope you rot in hell, you effing, you know, yeah, it just starts cussing her out. And then when she says that to her, somebody comes up and starts offering to call the police, says, hey, right, right. I, I'm going to call the police. What does Eva say to her? If you can recall that moment, she says, no, 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 this was my fault, my fault. And she says it very deliberately to him when she has clearly done nothing to this person. But she says, no, this, sure. this was my fault. Sure. Very soon after that, I can't remember if it's the exact next scene or whatever, but very soon after that, it takes you to she's pregnant, but she's in labor and labor evidently was very hard for her. It was very difficult and very painful because she is squealing. Right. When it was happening. Right. And then hard cut from her squealing to her sitting clearly PTSD, like her like her sure, face sure. is just drenched in in confusion and frustration and and pain 
Yeah, I, think, I think the meta, I think the medical term is postpartum depression, but yes, yes same but, thing. But PTSD, yes. But but I'm talking about the the yes, postpartum depression is a bit of a longer form condition. Sure. Whereas sure. you know I'm talking about specifically like labor has labor the delivery has trauma. Itself. Yeah, the right, delivery right. itself has just traumatized her beyond what she could have imagined, and while she's st- sitting there, steely eyed, staring, glazed off into nothingness. John C. Riley is sitting there cradling the baby and is right. is bonding with Kevin at that moment. And so I think because of that, because of those two moments, my engagement with the film set me up more more from a not he's just this way from birth, but that there is very specifically an animosity between he and his mother that is fueling this behavior, which is why he finds it uh, completely easy to. Yeah, sure, Dad. Like, be all right, good chummy right. with Dad. Um, in fact, uh, I said I wasn't going to bring in the book, but here's one factoid from the book. In the book, Eva lays out a theory that she thinks the reason he did what he did at the end of the film was because he knew they were going to get divorced, and he knew he was going to go live with his dad, and he would miss out on the chance of ultimately like having the last thing sure. against his mother. Sure. Um, now, that's something that she postulates in the book. It's not in the film. But so it's like I, I and even before I read the book, I was I was thinking that this whole film was kind of asking this question of like, because she also look at what she's doing in the town, like in the town, she is like, why doesn't I, I remember thinking, why doesn't she move? Why doesn't why doesn't she find a new place to live where people don't know who she is? We don't know if this is in the age of Google or whatever. Like, like why, why doesn't she just move where she can start over and not have this saddle behind her? No, she stays in this town where she's assaulted by people when she's randomly walking out of a store, where a lady breaks all 12 of her eggs in, in the grocery store. She stays in this town where this just absolute jerk of a of a coworker uh right. you know, tells her you know why are, why are you resisting my very inappropriate advances because nobody else will have you I mean like she stays here she well stays yeah in yeah this yeah and yeah. I, I, and I I think the point you're trying to make now is and I, I would totally echo you know from a where the where I think the film would get correct and 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 would totally be in agreement with you on is the the human side of her is very strongly drawn and very uh, performance and there and sure, sort of sure. narratively because you know yeah it's an it's a reasonable question to reasonable people why would you stay there but her her weight of guilt over yeah her son having perpetrated these terrible things you know is what sort of, she she feels like she's um you know, gosh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, penance, you know, kind of, yes, penance, self-immolation, this kind of thing, like, yes. like self-flagellation, self-flagellation is sort of the word I'm looking yeah, for. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, she's totally punishing herself, which no, and I'm, I'm with you. Like her story makes sense to me and on, on most levels. And I, I guess, I guess a question I would have for you and it is like, what do you feel like to the extent you can conclude it just from the, movie what do you think is the ultimate sort of idea of the movie i think it's a movie about her struggling to love her complicated son and her son who has done like terrible and heinous things so in other words like on one level it's difficult that we're talking about it in the season in which we're talking about it because honestly i think the film is more about 
how to love. I'm I'm going to use this word, but I don't. I, I I'm I'm not. Okay, <laughs> I keep resisting it. How to how to love evil, and and I don't say that to just categorize people as I would say that how to love people who have done evil things. Yeah, like, like yeah yeah, yeah. And, yes. and 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 it's like. I think this is a film about how difficult it is to do that and and how sometimes a particularly not even from the stance of a parent to their child, but, you know, somebody who feels like I could have stopped this. I could have done something different. I could have I could have prevented this somehow and then bearing the weight of that and somehow having to come to terms with it and then still find some degree of of reconciliation in your in your heart and in your mind and that's a right right that's something that when she hugs him at the end you know and 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 you just see or you you feel the weight of her her lifelong struggle well not her whole life but his whole life struggling to love her son who honestly she right. she she probably okay so this is bringing in some side material but the the language is kind of what I'm what I'm driving at. Um, there's a, a comedy special on Netflix by a man named Neil Brennan, who was one of the co-writers with Dave Chappelle of the Chappelle show. And Neil Brennan has a brilliant stand-up show because it is only about half jokes and half like just sort of monologues, monologues that are very heartfelt and kind of heartbreaking um, about his troubled relationship with his dad. And at one point he uh, confesses in this thing that he asked his dad he said, did you ever love me? And his dad, who his dad is uh, a troubled man, but um, his dad looked back at him and said, no, I don't think I ever did. And and so and he has some really heartrending things to say out of coming out of hearing that. But this notion of I do think it's a it's it's a film kind of exploring the idea of how, how do you love troubled people? How do you how do you do that? And if you and I will say this, as in Eva's case, I hear often when people talk about oh the love you experience with a child and uh, you know oh the joy oh it, you know it's it's the greatest thing and I have heard people say um, tangentially like what's wrong with me if I don't feel a certain way about these things. What's what's sure, wrong with sure. me if I don't if I don't have these feelings? People across the world who struggle with postpartum depression ask themselves, "What is wrong with me that that I'm feeling this way and not the way that every other person on the planet is supposed to feel when this happens?" And and so I think this film has a lot to at least empathize with, if not say, about that struggle of how do I how do I connect? How do I bond? How do I how do I love this person? And then on top of that, when this person, because everything up to that point is perspective driven. Oh, he says he was just trying to make your wall special when he painted all over her walls. And from her right. perspective, he maliciously right, destroyed right. her wall. And then, you know, oh, no, you must have left the bleach out on the counter because Kevin says he didn't do it. You know, sure. and then that scene where he says, well, we were afraid you might be feeling responsible. And he's like, I. I don't feel responsible. I never said I did feel responsible, you know? And, right. and so there's, there's all these things about different perspectives. It's like, well, you can read the moment one way, or you can read the moment a different way. We're seeing a lot from Eva's perspective. So we're seeing Kevin, how he treats her. And we're seeing, you know, much of, of that specific dynamic. Um, but then I feel like it's difficult to love someone 
And it's easy to talk about perspective. But then when they do something like what Kevin does at the end of the film, well, then what do you do? Well, then what do you do when when it's almost one of those things where uh, to to introduce a moment of levity, it's like when uh, Ian Malcolm, Jeff Goldblum's character in Jurassic Park says, God, do I hate being right all the time? You know, but in a moment like this where you're like, this is how I've always felt about this problem or this is how I've always uh, sort of had the difficulty with this this person. And now something objective happens. Then what happens to your psychology at that point? What happens to your psyche at that point where you're like, why didn't I? And that's why, I mean, nobody in the film says we need to talk about Kevin. Nobody says. Right. Right. So I think the film is saying it. I think that the film is saying that yes. we need to we yes. need to discuss the, the this. Kevins of the world. Yes, yes, yes. yes. We need and, to discuss and, this. And, and hear me, like I think that all of the things you're extrapolating out of the film are to varying degrees there. I think, and and I I would be surprised though. I, I want to give. The potential here. I would be surprised if my perspective, if, if this opinion would change much on a repeat viewing. Sure. I personally think you are because you are a good man, <laughs> full of compassion. I think you're being personally too generous to the Kevin side of the narrative. Like, and 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 oh, I see. And that's oh, just yeah, that's just you and that's just you and I talking. Like, uh, you know, like I think all of the seeds of what you're describing are definitely there. Right, right. I just think, and 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 you know, uh, we don't we don't have the time or, or and you know inclination really. I think there's a better version of this story buried in it. Sure, where, sure. Where I am actually sympathetic towards Kevin at some point in time, and I'm I never am. I got and, you. And, I got you. And I need some level of empathy for him to be able to feel for him. Sure, and as sure. a, as opposed to purely be on her side, because here, because like I said, you know, those are some very human moments in a vacuum. Yeah. Taken yeah. all to taken all together of what we know of Kevin. And I don't know if this is what you're saying. It sounds like you're saying this is a movie all about perspective. I would push back a little bit to that because we've seen movies about perspective. I'm not saying it's a great movie, but a movie like a crash, you know, these, these types of movies where you're seeing the same events from varying points of view and what have you, like those are movies specifically built on the concept of how we perceive certain events differently than others who experience the same events. Um, whereas this one is clearly meant to be from Eva's point of view, right? From her experience. And because I think, what the reason I asked you a minute ago, this is a good conversation. Hey man. Yeah. Hey buddy. This is good. Yeah. Um, I applaud us because <laughs> you know, we, we did not, we didn't, we didn't have the wisdom to do this before stranger things too. No, exactly. <laughs> Lesson learned. <laughs> <laughs> um, because I think a, you're, so like I just said, yours is a very generous sort of take on the film. I think a less generous take, but still, uh, not totally untrue and given what the movie presents thematic takeaway from the film is you are who you are going to be mm. and you you may never d- despite the external influences on you you will never be unswerved from who you are going to be and and i would i would really push back against that sort of guiding philosophy because 
again, you know, the movie ends with this ostensible moment of, you know, compunction, regret, being sorry on Kevin's part. And it feels, it, it feels unearned. And, and I, again, I think to your point, it's a very good statement to say a story about how we love those who have those who are directly connected to us who have perpetrated heinous crimes. I think it's a, it's a, it's a sorrowfully relevant question in our day. Right. I think this movie, this is a strong word. I think this movie mishandles that question. Mm, Okay. Um, Sure. Because I don't feel like, because if that is a guiding question of this film, how do we love those most connected to us who commit extreme acts of heinous violence. I feel like the movie doesn't give us something to do other than just wallow because, because she really doesn't ultimately, you know, I mean, I I don't know if we're meant to think, Oh, well now that he's shown some compunction, she will go on with a little bit of liberation. Right. I don't, I don't know what what her story is after. And, and that's the thing that like, I don't, uh, again, we we talked about before uh, Tyler Smith's philosophy that uh, he probably heard it somewhere or maybe he's just that smart. He might just be that smart, um, but of a film being about how it ends. And the thing that we're left with is, you know, her struggle to to continue to try to love her son, you know, and to try to and to try to reach out. Um, we don't see whether or not she will move. We don't see whether or not she will continue to live in this dilapidated one bedroom, whatever. Um, so maybe so then yeah. in, the spirit, in the spirit of that question, how do you how would you answer that as it relates to we need to talk about? Kevin? And I and I think that's the I think this is not I a don't co- mean that to be like a I don't mean to put you on the defensive. That's not my no, intention. no I'm just curious. And and again, like again, to to at the risk of copping out, I think that's not the point of this story. And so that's why I get some of my philosophies about it. It's like I think the point of the story is, you know, what did she need to do to come to terms with who her son was and what he did? And right. how did what did she need to do to come to terms with the loss that she felt and the blame that she carries and uh, how and this is how she did that. Um, and I think that I, I don't think either of our readings of the like it is troubling to think. It's troubling as a concept to think. That people I'm just going to extrapolate a, a yeah. potential uh, concept that anybody is born bad. Like that is a concept that is that is frightening. It is it is deeply, deeply frightening. And we struggle with when we hear about the people who have done perpetual multiple uh, things. Uh, I'm thinking not just of the, you know, the recent events, but I'm actually thinking now of like. You know the the Charles Mansons of the world, the the right. Jeffrey Dahmer's of the world. Have you? Uh, I know I talked to you about it. Um, there's a new film out. Uh, yeah, yeah, there's there's a film out that I have not seen, but I did read the graphic novel on which it's based called My Friend Dahmer. Um, it is powerful. Everybody should read it. Everybody should read it. Um, but yeah, there there is a. It's like when we look at figures like that. Um, granted now I will say this. So, so this film very specifically has a, a school shooting, if you will, it's not a gun, it is a bow and arrows. And 
Uh, it, it specifically has that in the film, but uh, even though we're talking about it and it, it 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 does feel relevant to kind of the cultural moment that we're in, I I feel like the film is about something deeper than that. I do feel like the film is about uh, how do we cope? How do we how do we approach this this subject? How do we approach these people? How do we reconcile and come to terms with what has happened? And I think that's something that is much harder to do. It's it's never easy. There is no scenario in which any any loss of that caliber is ever easy. But you do have degrees where you get into just where does somebody where does somebody go that their brain would so shut off that you would commit you know serial killers that you would that you would perpetuate these kinds of things ongoing not not a moment that you can try to whittle down and say well you know parents or this system or that system but perpetual ongoing like how it's something unfathomable i mean it's unfathomable to to me it exists in the world it's it's there but it's unfathomable to me and i think it would be too easy in either direction to say, well, they just needed some love or some Jesus at the right moment. Sure. I think that's too easy. Right. But I think it would also be too easy to point the finger at any singular component and say, well, it's, well, it's this. I mean, perhaps this is one area, and neither you nor I are psychologists, but, but perhaps this is one area where, you know, the deep work of psychology, not on just mental illness, but on psychopathology, like the the absence of a moral compass, sure, sure. which is a psychological reality. Um, yeah. and, and, and without even bringing a spiritual component into it, there exists people in the world who, through tests and studies, it is, uh, you know, all but confirmed, they have no sense of, of morality to their behavior. So destroying a life is as benign to them as right, right, tying right. their shoe. Um, we can talk all we want to about the the what we should do in term, in terms of coming to grips with that psychological reality. And I think that the, you know we need to talk about Kevin is a bit more complicated than that because it shows us you know some some differing components with with events in his life, but I do sympathize with with your your reading of the film and the troubling element of him just being born bad it's not your words those are mine but that's right, kind of what right, you're right, talking about right. like him just being sort of born bad and i do think you know one of the things that that gnaws at me about any any types of moments and i have gotten into you know forgive me world but i have gotten into uh you know about three different arguments recently online about uh you know this sort of current conditions and current climates of things and that is three too many and shouldn't have, and it, it, it's just what it is. I just, re- listeners don't know I was shaking my head at you because you know better and we've had these conversations. I know, I know. I know, I know. But it's like... But you were, but you were just you were just born bad. I was just born go. bad. Yeah, I can't help but be bad. <laughs> but you know, it's, it's, it's one of these things where I do get frustrated. I do get deeply frustrated with anybody on any side of the fence, left, right, up, down, liberal, conservative, pro-gun, anti-gun, uh, pro mental health thinks it's irrelevant. Any area where you find yourself, I get so unspeakably frustrated with people who say 
The problem is fill in the blank. Right, right. You right. are already right. beyond bow and arrows. Yeah, right. Exactly. We the problem to is have bow stricter and arrows. bow and arrow control. Bow and arrow restrictions. Um, bow and arrow reform. <laughs> but anybody who says the problem is fill in the blank, you have already missed the point of the conversation because we, if we are going to come to terms with what is happening in our country, with what is happening in these events and their aftermath, we need, in my opinion, a far more holistic conversation. Something that encompasses a variety of things that people step off of their individual platform. What frustrates me to no end is you cannot even, I'm going to beat up on the liberals first, you cannot even mention the word security or increased security without getting some, you know, a slew of people jumping down your throat. You cannot even mention the words control and gun in remotely the same paragraph, let alone the same sentence, without a whole slew of more radical conservatives just memeing you down the throat and and dismissing all kinds of, of heinous and despicable things. I think that if we are really going to, and this is, this is part of why I love this film, but again, I will own, it may be part of what I'm bringing to it, is because <laughs> we need to talk about Kevin. Like, right, 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 we need right, to, right. We need to talk, like, for God's yes, sake, yes, in yes, God's name, yes. we need to talk. Like, right. it's something that <laughs> we, we just, we cannot continue to dismiss what's taking place for, for, in, in any capacity. Right, right, right. right. We have well, to and talk. I, I do think I, it's, it's funny. Um, if, in fact, the intention of the the storyteller, the the novel writer, is in line with where you're going. I I am all for and totally applaud that. Um, I I think I think the film is rather clunky in its in its execution of that idea. Although, uh, hear me, like it, it is a well made film. Like like it's sure. No, I, I understand. It, um, I just you know maybe I'm too dumb and some of its subtleties were a bit too much so for me. But um, you're definitely not dumb. Well, thank you. It's interesting. So uh, you could probably go find this. So like I, I have tried so hard to be. Mm, I'll restate that sentence. I have wanted to try sort of <laughs> as opposed to I have tried so hard. I've wanted and thought about trying to to be non social media e. You know, like, like sure. everyone's, everyone's blowing each other up right now. And I, I didn't heed my own advice twice recently. One was, one was, uh, um, <laughs> <laughs> one, you'll know pretty well. Um, but then there was another one just today and I, I took the bait and I shouldn't have. And, and the good news is, and, and hopefully this person receives my peace offering. I and I admitted uh, publicly to this person that I that I don't even read. I don't even know this guy. Oh, <laughs> I wow. don't even know him. But it was a buddy's post. This guy was being the other side, as it were. Sure, sure. And I don't, I don't know. I was feeling frisky, and I just, dude, I sunk my teeth in. Mm. And you know, 
and you you get sort of enervated by by the fire you're like ah oh, yeah oh, of course yeah this is this is yeah this is fruitful and worthwhile usage of time and energy and mental capacity this oh is my gonna God. show them um Ugh. and it got to a certain point where he got pissed at me and and i mean you know i, I where i finally said you know i'm sorry I, I don't know you you don't know me it's a weird world where people who don't know each other can start lighting each other up Right. I said, right. this, this is how the things you were saying made me feel like I, I, I just really extended that olive branch and, and I'm circling back around to the point you were trying to make, which was affirming the potential intention of the storyteller and your interpretation of, which is there is so little actual conversation. Right. Uh, right, right, right. You know, and, and you and I've talked about that a good bit. And it's funny because like, I thought about you and I, not because you and I are on dramatically opposite ends of certain issues or whatever, but in going back and forth and reflecting on my sort of attitude in this online conversation, I was thinking about you and I, and I was like, you know, that is what real relationship and real friendship yields, which is because you and I, uh, this re- uh, listeners, <laughs> I really keep wanting to call them readers because um, <laughs> they are, you know, listeners, listeners may not be too surprised by Stranger Things too, or they might be surprised like you and I don't see eye to eye on absolutely everything, but, but, <laughs> but friendship and mutual desire for good or desire for mutual good mm-hmm. means we, we, even when the sharp edges collide, we try to figure out how to round them out as it relates to you and I and right. how we be better people towards each other and in the world. Sure. Um, and I guess I just, I'm, I'm frustrated because I just, I, th- I think all the pieces are there to make that point with this film. And, and for me, it just, it, it was, it was well intended. I just, I think there, I think the potential exists to make some thematic takeaways the movie doesn't intend, which is, yeah, I gotcha. We're just, we're just, we're just kind of doomed to be whoever we're going to be. And resolution is rarely possible. And all you're going to be left with in the rear view is grief and self-flagellation, which hear me. I'm not, that's an extreme read. Yeah. Yeah. I'm an extreme read, but it's potential. (laughs) 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 You are an extreme read. Yes, you are. Those Um, jelly sandwiches you make. Those are extreme, man. That's right. How you do that. Well, so literally, uh, cutting you off with a joke and then yeah i think i think in response hey, to that you i give that to you all the time so it just, is, that is true you're just learning um so <laughs> and and then cu- coming in with the scripture verse that i had which honestly <laughs> i picked this scripture verse you know long before we we out of a hat <laughs> yep um uh, just random bible roulette you know and then um just like most Christians. <laughs> wow. So uh, I picked this long before our conversation and honestly didn't know how I was going to sort of bring it around to the scripture because it's a bit of an odd choice uh, before uh, starting the starting the piece. But given where this conversation has gone about whether or not we are are born bad, uh, that kind of thing, and whether or not that's what the film's trying to say or what we do, the scripture that came to mind to me was Psalm 51. Uh, I'm just going to read a few passages of this psalm, uh, about five verses here. Starting at verse three, it says, For I know my transgressions, 
and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Verse 5 says, Sinful I was surely at birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Verse 6 says, Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. And then I'm skipping a few verses because verse 10, I think, uh, before I read verse 10, where, wherever you stand on, are we born this way? Is there any hope for redemption? Uh, is there anything I think all faithful believers could echo that even for the worst and the most heinous of any and all of us, verse 10 is a, is a worthwhile prayer. After he says all of this, he says, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. And that's what I thought about when I was looking at this, you know, the, the, these ideas, surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me, yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. And you taught me wisdom in that secret place. And then skipping down, create in me a pure heart, O God. I think some of us wrestle with not only whether or not they are born bad, but whether we are and whether we can help some of the things that we wish we didn't do. Paul's language about, you know, I do the things I hate and and what I wish to do, I don't do those things. You know, I think a lot of us struggle not necessarily with the things that Eva and certainly not with the things that Kevin is struggling with, but I think a lot of us who have, you know, at least halfway strong moral compasses try to deal with what we have in our hearts. And I think it's worthwhile whether in looking at the the world around us and the things taking place or looking at our own deeds and our own actions and in this conversation about, I would say, regardless of whether or not you believe people are born bad, everyone has the access to to plea and to ask, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a, a steadfast spirit in me. And I think that's what would be profitable for us to continue to pursue forward in. I think it is important that we understand why things happen the way they do, but I think it is more imperative that we look forward into what's going to happen next. I think that's, sure. that's the more imperative thing. Uh, so when we say we need to talk about Kevin, it is very easy. One of the most distressing things is somebody always wants to find somebody to blame. Mm. They always want to find somebody or something to blame. And they always want to say like, oh, no, if this had only been done differently or if that had been done differently, then we just, you know, then it would all be different and it would all be better. And I think it's it's very fruitless to consider why something happened except to look forward into how we can make things better. I think that's the only fruitful way uh the 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 idea of looking back with whole cloth blame on a on a, a subject i think is is fruitless indeed um so yeah um we need to talk about kevin <laughs> well i think we just did <laughs> i think we just did i i want to i want to throw out before we we uh summon hair pumpkins um uh this is going to be a rather clunky segue, so my apologies here, but I did want to just throw into the mix. I thought that we might deal a little more directly, and, and we the, the conversation was incredibly strong, but we didn't quite hit what I thought we would, which is more kind of a parenting side of the conversation. I want to throw something for the listeners, and, and when this episode airs, perhaps I'll throw it up on the Facebook page. 
I do think there is a good conversation this movie can yield, not just about the character of Kevin, but the 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 nature of parenting, the yeah. the uh, what we do when we quote unquote get it wrong, um, you know, how to feel about whether or not we think we got it wrong, what what have you. Um, I just randomly stumbled upon this podcast recently, and well, it wasn't utterly random. So my affection for the top of the years heavily mentioned David Gushy, I I went looking for interviews uh, of his that are podcasts. Well, there's a podcast series called voices and I can really applaud it because it doesn't deal at all with the similar things we do. And thus is not competition, (laughs) (laughs) Um, but it's called the voices podcast. And Gushy was interviewed on there. Well, just looking for something to listen to. um, I just went browsing through their kind of catalog and they have this one. Um, episode that whose title just really jumped out at me and it was called parenting through deconstruction and uh, you know you and i don't often get like hyper personal on the on the show but you know my last four years of just life in general and specifically my if you will ecumenical life and and on a certain level my spiritual life is is just in um upheaval is a bit of a strong word but but just kind of wanting to hold fiercely to the 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 hem of Jesus's robe yeah while being willing to kind of put a whole lot of other things on the table and and so uh, deconstruction if you will so you can imagine when i see this title parenting through deconstruction i'm like huh and my wife and i are always talking about these this concept like what where are we right now in terms of our sort of what we think about X, Y, or Z sort of traditional idea of uh, that the church presents or what, whatever. So I listened to this podcast and I would encourage, I think I would encourage anyone to go listen to it. I will say uh, this, I'm being a little silly here, potential trigger warning. Like it's, it's a pretty progressive podcast. Um, I, so the theology they talk about, really resonated with me, but it won't for everybody. And I can respect that. However, if you are a parent and if you are a parent of faith and you are trying to figure out what the language is or can be as it relates to your expressing that faith to your children, this hour of your time is so worth it. Um, and, and I mean, multiple times listen y'all i am cynical as the day is long and i'm not proud of that um i'm just sort of stating it as as a potential um reality of things and so i i receive a lot quote unquote from the church with with a raised eyebrow this conversation left me teary multiple times um as someone who believes fiercely in the love and redemptive power of jesus but is not really sure about a whole lot of other things of how to exemplify that as a parent to my children. And, and so I would just read, I know I tipped you off to it and you've started listening to it some, but yeah, like I would just, I would really encourage the listening to again. I'm just don't listen to it and be like, Oh my God, Nathan believes all these wacky things. You know, I probably do, but uh, (laughs) uh, it's really more about just, just how to, how to once, once you as an adult, if this is a thing you aspire to are sort of past where you think a lot of the superficialities are in a more traditional 
manifestation of faith in America, in Christianity, a lot of it really resonated with me. But even disregarding that, there's a lot of really, really moving faith applications as a parent. Anyway, I, I didn't mean to dominate the end of our time like no, that. But no, I just no, really, I really wanted to encourage, I mean, you're a dad. Um, I'm sure many of our listeners are parents um, kind of looking for, I mean, hear me. If you are a person of faith listening to a podcast that predominantly talks about horror content you're a little out of the box as it is um and we 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 welcome you and uh so i think you you may find some resonance with this particular podcast anyway thank you for letting me get on that soapbox (laughs) (laughs) nice callback that was a nice callback uh no i definitely intended to to check that out and and we'll report back at least to you if not to our listeners about exactly what i sure thing um so yeah on that note would you like to bring in our our cousin let's do it yeah let's do our, it our, our, our uncle. uncle no he's our, our uncle. uncle remember he's our uncle yeah that's right uh mr david s pumpkin so um uh, for those of you who don't know by now um we measure every film by a metric of david s pumpkins uh we look at style scares and substance um i'll go first on style uh the film is definitely distancing in its structure uh i do think it's very well crafted uh but the the structure is demanding and can be hard to relate to. I'm going to land at a 3.5 for style. Um, it's funny. I was thinking about this before we recorded. Actually, stylistically, I like it. You know what I mean? Right, sure. In my weirdo definition of this category here, um, I, I, which will mitigate some of my disconnectedness to it, but I am going to give it a 2. Um, I think I just... Uh, you and I had a good conversation and, and, and perhaps a really strong conversation, depending on, uh, how you feel about it and how the listeners feel. But I think I really wrestled with how to plug into it and just felt, felt like I kept trying to plug into it and, and it, the, the plug just kept moving on me. That's a really sure. poor analogy. <laughs> no, so, no, a no, two, no. a two. I understand. Um, for scares, uh, this one's tough for me because it's, it's filled with deep and abiding dread. And there are some genuine sort of scares. In it, uh, I think because of its haunting nature, I'm going to give it a four for scares. Um, I do think on a pure like uh, horror movie convention level that, like I said, that Halloween sequence is really strong. Um, my inability to kind of connect on a lot of the character levels, which are what I think would fuel a lot of what you're describing. I, I got to be frank. I'm going to give it a two and a half. Okay, sure, 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 sure. And then for substance, this one's tricky because I think, yeah, it's like, I, I, in a sense, it's it's saying a lot of different things, but they're all about, yeah, it's uh, they're all about Kevin. Um, it's like he said, how could I not know the context? I am the context. Um, but uh, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm going to land at a four for substance. Yeah, and again, I think there's a lot to be mined directly from the material. And so in that respect, I'll, I'll give it a three and a half. All right. So that means that we give, we need to talk about Kevin, a 6.5 out of 10 David S. Pumpkins. So not bad. Not, that's bad. not bad. You know, not bad. no. And it's, it's 
like it's fuel for good conversation and that's what we like to do and that's what we like to have that's exactly you know? right that's exactly right so uh, um, although i'm more, i'm worried i'm worried i've disappointed you no disappointed you haven't let me down all right, all right. No, you haven't let me down okay. at all no i appreciate it thank don't, you so much don't throw me against the, don't throw me against the wall and break my arm <laughs> oh my gosh no no not at all not at all not today so um yeah uh thank you so much for having this conversation with me because the fear of god is the beginning of wisdom but not the end of the conversation and uh we needed to talk about kevin if you need to talk about kevin uh or anything else that you want to talk about then you can do so in a variety of ways stay tuned to hear how and uh, and also stay tuned next week uh for our uh well yeah quarterly uh episode uh where we dive back into the catalog of stephen king so um so yeah nathan thanks again thanks again for talking yeah, about kevin no problem no problem. We, we, we needed to and did talk about Kevin. <laughs> we'll see you next week, guys. All right. Bye. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but it is not the end of the conversation. To continue this conversation, you can follow us on Twitter at The Fear of God. Visit us on Facebook to comment on one of our posts or to post there yourself. You can follow Reed on Twitter at Reed Lackey. You can follow Nathan on Twitter at The Nathan Rouse. Visit MoreThanOneLesson.com to leave a comment on this post or any of the official episode posts. Email us at FearOfGodPodcast at gmail.com. That's all one word, fearofgodpodcast at gmail.com. And last but not least, if you listen to us through iTunes, we would greatly appreciate a rating or a review. Thank you for listening, everyone, and we'll see you next week.